All right. Well, welcome again to H2O. Uh, I'm Brian Wiles, one of the pastors here. If you didn't get a chance uh, to meet me, I'd love to meet you as you're here checking things out. And uh, we have a special Sunday today. If you don't know, if you're part of the university, uh, students are on fall break, so we only have our one service downtown here uh, at H2O Bowling Green, and we're continuing on in this series uh, that we're calling I Want to Believe But. And uh, we have a, a special speaker this morning. thing that we really value here at H2O is raising up and developing future pastors and future church planners. And uh, Sean Salata is uh, a guy who's been just an amazing servant for us. You guys can give him a round of applause. Um, He's been an awesome servant. He does a lot of things behind the scenes uh, with the production team and, and many other different areas. Uh, but today, he's going to be uh, on stage sharing with us uh, uh, as we conclude this series, uh, I Want to Believe But. So give uh, Sean another H2O welcome. Take it away, Sean. All right. How's everybody doing? Good? Awesome. All right. Really good. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, like, um, like Brian was saying, we've been... We've been in this, um, this I want to believe but series, um, tackling these, these questions um, and, and these even objections that stand between us and faith. What are, the, what are the big things that stand between us and faith? So we've talked about I want to believe, but um, what about my doubts? Um, and, and we've seen that God invites us actually to lean in to our doubts and, and to lean into him. Uh, I, I want to believe, but is, is Jesus the only way? Um, we've seen that, that Jesus is the only way, um, and, and that he brings anybody who wants it to, to be in the kingdom with him. Uh, I want to believe, but why do bad things happen to good people? Um, we've seen that, that we can trust God's heart um, even when, when we don't see his hand. Um, and today, that brings us to the question, uh, I want to believe, but what about science and scripture? Uh, a heated, a heated question, a heated topic, and and probably as soon as as soon as the words leave my mouth and, and enter into your brain, you you already have some idea of um, this conversation. You maybe have some idea of where this message is going to go. Uh, maybe you've thought about this before um, in, in terms of creation versus evolution, um, or faith versus intellect, or God versus science. Um, I'm here to tell you we're basically not going to talk about any of that stuff today, actually. <laughs> I'll get there in a minute. Um, but one, one thing that sticks out to me when I think about this, this idea, um, does anybody remember the debate between um, Ken Ham and Bill Nye the Science Guy? Yeah, a couple, <laughs> a couple years ago there, there was this debate. Uh, for those of you who, who aren't familiar, um, Ken Ham, who is this creationist scientist, um, challenged Bill Nye to a debate over is creationism like a viable scientific model and they and they had this debate and, I, and I'll be honest with you like I did not even watch this debate until I was preparing for for this message but I remember hearing about it I remember hearing people talk about it and, and for me as I think about this question I want to believe but what about science and scripture it it really draws to the forefront this idea of conflict that seems to be built into the question. Um, when we think about what about science and scripture, people assume conflict, that they're mutually exclusive, that you have science and um, intelligence on one hand, um, the Bible and faith on the other hand, and only one can win. You know, literally we think about these debates, whether it's um, Ken Ham and Bill Nye, or whether it's um, 
Richard Dawkins, a uh, prominent atheist thinker and, and different um, Christian philosophers. We, we, this debate theme comes up often. Um, and, and even, I, I feel like some of us today, we, we've, talked, we've talked throughout this series kind of about different types of people. Um, and this question may even be a little different um, depending on maybe what group you fall into here today. Um, if you're a Christian and you've been a committed Christian for a while, um, maybe you're wondering, is, is science bad? Um, do, I, do I need to um, defend against science? Do I need to learn uh, different truths and arguments that will counter the claims of science? That's a, that's a question you might have here today. Um, if you're uh, what I'd call a seeker, somebody um, who maybe has been with Christians, who's been in the church for a little bit. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but um, you've begun asking questions about faith. You might have this, this genuine question of, okay, so the, the truth of Christianity is attractive, right? But also, I, I've learned these things about science, and, and those truths are also compelling. They make sense. Um, are they compatible, uh, who's right? Is one right and the other wrong? What, what do I do to make, like, reconcile or deal with these two things? Um, and if you're a skeptic in, in the audience, first off, we, we've said this almost every week, but um, if you're here um, and you don't believe in Jesus, I just want to personally extend a welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. It's an honor to be able to um, have you here as we're talking about um, God and the things of the Bible and what that has to do with our everyday life. Um, but even just to give some of the Christians in the room uh, some insight into maybe what some skeptics are thinking, um, there, there's this, this fear almost um, that, that by teaching, teaching the Bible as this prominent um, first-order truth um, that's above science, that there's the possibility maybe that we're raising a, a group and a generation of people who are scientifically illiterate. And if that's true, there would be massive consequences for, you know, maybe our nation and our world. And, and this, is, this is what makes um, skeptics concerned um, about the, the issues of, of science in kind of our world. So we're going to answer the question in a little bit of a different way, though. Um, Instead of focusing on all of these conflict-based questions, uh, our big idea for this morning is going to be that um, science and scripture are not opposed, but they're partners. Science and scripture are not opposed, but they actually work together to give us a fuller understanding of the world around us, the world that we live in. Um, and, and the way that we're going to do that, setting kind of like a, a roadmap for us this morning, um, we're going to talk about God and truth. We're going to talk about man and truth, humanity and truth, um, what that means for science, um, and then the, the central truth, the eternal truth. Um, so digging into it, I, f I feel like always the, the best thing, the wisest thing to do when you're approaching any topic is what, what does the Bible say about that topic? What does the character of God, what kind of light does that shed on the situation? And so I think specifically we can see that God is truth, um, and that he encourages the pursuit of truth. So God is truth, and he encourages the pursuit of truth. Um, I'm going to read through a few verses uh, during the course of, of this message. You can follow along if you want. Um, the, the scripture references are on the H2O app. They'll also be on the screen behind me. You can follow along in your Bibles if you'd like. I'm going to move kind of quick, so uh, 
don't feel any pressure with that. But um, our first verse that we're going to look at is Job 37, 16. And it says this, Do you know the balancings of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? Um, and this is uh, in the book of Job. It's one of Job's friends kind of asking him this question sort of accusatively. You know, do you know um, the kind of the workings and the thoughts of him who is perfect in knowledge? Um, the, the next verse in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So we have this idea that, that God is knowledge. He is truth. It's a, it's a characteristic of his. He embodies it. Um, and it's kind of funny, too, thinking back to that, that Job verse, um, to, to read it in context. Like, if you've, if you've never had the opportunity to read the book of Job, um, it's, a, it's a really interesting read, and I, I would definitely recommend it. Um, and I'll, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a little summary here just to just kind of wet, wet your appetite a little bit. So basically, um, Job allows God to suffer. Sorry, scratch that, reverse it. God allows Job to, to suffer. Um, Kind of, kind of thinking about some of the stuff we talked about last week. Um, and Job is like working through um, all of the suffering. He has questions for God. And sort of in the midst of this, um, Job's three good-for-nothing friends show up. Um, and they try to diagnose, well, why is Job suffering? Surely there must be a reason. And broadly speaking, what they say is, oh, it's because you did some big sin, and that's why you're suffering. Surely God wouldn't allow you to suffer unless you sinned and he's punishing you for it, which we know from last week that's not really accurate. And Job is trying to tell them this, and they're going back and forth, and they're going back and forth. Finally, this young upstart shows up, and he, he kind of sets the record straight, and he says, you know, that doesn't make any sense. That's not how God works. You guys are kind of full of hot air. Um, and then God shows up, and it's as if he says, I am so sick and tired of listening to the 37 chapters of nonsense that you guys have just been going on about. And I am going to tell you what's what. Buckle up, because here we go. And God spends like the next, the next like three or four chapters, I think, just talking about his character and about all of these different um, acts of creation that he had done. He talks about like the cosmos and he talks about all these different animals and like their, their ways and the way that he made them. And all throughout this time, he's like, so Job, what do you know about that? What do you guys know about that? Surely you were there and you can tell me all about it. You know, God's really kind of laying into him and getting into his stuff. The, the truth is that God embodies knowledge. God knows all about that stuff because he is knowledge. He made it. Um, but not only is he knowledge, he knows the, the beginning from the end, but also he encourages the pursuit of knowledge. It, it moves down from him to, to us a little bit. Um, so we're going to, again, fly through some scripture verses that kind of paint a picture together for us. So Proverbs 1, 5 through 9 says this, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So it's this idea that education and knowledge are actually valued 
in God's economy. Whatever else we may say, whatever else other people may say, um, in, the, in the world and life according to God, education and knowledge are valued. He's, um, through the, the words of Solomon, he's encouraging people to seek wisdom, to seek after instruction, to take it up, to, to soak it up like sponges. So moving on, Romans 1, 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, the, the people in the world, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without any excuse. It's actually assumed that we would carefully observe the natural world. Not only that, but Paul, the author of Romans, is assuming that we could observe so much from the world that we would actually be accountable for that knowledge before God. If we went before God, he would say, hey, I showed you who I am through the world around you. I actually expected you to pay attention to the stuff that I put around you to learn about the world and about me from what's around you. And finally, one, one last verse. Um, this is, appears in like a couple different places. It's known as the great commandment, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so it's this idea that God's command on our lives is an all-encompassing love. It encompasses all of who we are. And so it, it's, time to, it's time to hunker down and, and challenge the, the family of God here a little bit. Um, it can be tempting for us, I think, um, to maybe be intimidated by um, some people who would use science or who would use intellect to say, hey, the things that you believe are not true. And rather than rise to the challenge, sometimes we say, hey, we need to, we need to get that stuff out of here. That, that stuff um, is not edifying. It's not Bible-based. Um, it's not true. And so we need to just sort of like turn the other way and, and not really look at it or think about it or engage with it at all. But that's not what this verse says. That's not actually what God is calling us to. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Christians today, are we loving God with our minds? Are we thinking about the, the issues in the world? Are we thinking about them critically? Are we engaging with them so that we can, we can engage with people outside the family of God and, and point them toward Christ through us just paying attention to what's around. We're to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So God is truth. He embodies truth. And he encourages the pursuit of truth. He encourages us to go after truth. The picture that the Bible paints isn't of a people that plug their ears to knowledge and, and don't pay attention to the world around them. God's people are supposed to take their cue from their God and engage with the world around them. So, so that's God and truth. That's an idea of God's character and how that relates to us. So, so let's move into truth and man, truth and humanity. How have we as a people um, kind, of, kind of interacted with truth and interacted with um, this idea? So actually, arguably for the most of human history, our our activity sort of like flowed out of this truth. 
God's truth. He encourages us to get out in the world and, and figure it out. And that's what we did. There are many, many scientists all throughout history that, that have had this supernatural worldview, this worldview that God's real, that he interacts in our world, um, and they still are observing and paying attention to their surroundings to, to learn things. Um, so the Bible speaks of humanity as having dominion over the earth. And I actually think that this idea of people, you know, A, believing in God and B, um, observing the world around them actually fits in with this, this mandate from God of having dominion over the earth. Humankind is supposed to take care of the earth and supposed to learn about it. Part of, part of having dominion over the earth is learning how it works so you can take better care of it so that you can um, live in it in a way that's honoring to God. So most scientists, like I said, throughout history had, were living out this mandate. This was happening. And some of the, the greatest discoveries, which we'll, we'll get to in a minute, some of the greatest discoveries of our people um, were, were made in this era. Actually, in, in universities, it's kind of interesting, theology used to be called the queen of the sciences. And, and behind me, there's probably like a kind of a goofy looking medieval picture. Um, you don't worry if you can't read any of it. I can't read any of it either because it's in Latin. But um, you probably get the gist, right? So there's this circle in the middle, somebody with a, with a crown on, and, and around the outside, there are these people that represent different disciplines, different um, ways of knowing, right? So I, I think there's like a musician up there. There's um, somebody doing geometry. Um, there's somebody doing like grammar. There are all, the, all these different people. And, and the way that people used to understand knowledge and they used to understand is that all of these disciplines, you know, weren't necessarily, you didn't learn them out of the Bible, but as you, as you studied all of these different things, they were all kind of held in unity by the Bible and by what God said to paint like a full picture of truth and a full picture of what's going on in the world. So rather than being separated from knowledge, theology, the study of God, knowing God, was, was placed at the center and tied everything together. But then there was a shift uh, in thinking that kind of led us to where we are today. So in the 18th century, human civilization um, entered into this period called the Enlightenment. Maybe you've heard of it. It's actually the reason that we are a country, um, because the ideas that came out of the Enlightenment led us to, um, to have this revolution against uh, Great Britain. But it, it also affected the, the areas of science and of knowledge. And so what happened is that scientists began to discover that these were, there were these natural laws that kind of explained and controlled the, the world around us. Things like gravity, um, motion, friction, um, all kinds of, of other ones. And science, scientists like Isaac Newton were discovering these natural laws. Not only that, they were discovering that Basically, they were inviolable. And what that means is that as, as far as we know, we can't get anything to break these laws. The world always works like this. These laws are inviolable. And we know that we figure them out by observation. We figure them out by doing science, by paying attention to the world around us and putting all that data together to explain the world around us. And so there's this kind of this kind of three-tiered idea that starts to happen. 
And by the way, it's actually, it's actually not that bad, right? I mean, that's what we've been talking about up to this point, that it's a, it's a good thing to observe the world around us and to, to learn about it from those observations. That's not bad in and of itself. Um, but then what you have happen is you have these Enlightenment philosophers, um, Spinoza, David Hume are a couple examples, and, and they begin to argue from this that, that God as we've understood him, either doesn't exist or is much different than what the Bible says. They, would, they argue against the supernatural is what they do. They say, hey, we have these physical laws and they can't be broken. So since they can't be broken, that means miracles can't be real. It just can't happen because we've figured it out. We've cracked the code. And, and since, since these miracles can't happen, either God isn't real or He's, a, he's a, a neutral observer that he kind of set everything in motion and sort of stepped back. It's this thing called deism. And um, that's not, we know that's not accurate to what the Bible says. We know that um, God actually intimately interacts and intervenes in each of our lives when we accept him. So we already know that God is a God that interacts. He's not far off, the Bible says. Um, so instead of valuing the supernatural, say, coming out of the Enlightenment, they say, instead of valuing the supernatural, we should champion Newton's way. We should champion the way that got us all these discoveries, and they call it naturalism. So that instead of believing that there's a God who can intervene supernaturally, that instead, everything has a natural explanation. There's no thing that doesn't have a natural explanation, and that is the way that we should believe. And if you think about it, maybe think back to your science classes or think back to some conversations that you've had um, with people, this may sound familiar um, because what will happen is people will say, well, in order to do responsible science, you have to get rid of all of your preconceptions. And one of your preconceptions is that God is real. So you need to just throw that out the window um, and you need to start with this blank slate. And that's where you'll do good science. But we're kind of having a problem, right? Because we just preface this with most of human history, some of the most important discoveries that we ever made were made with this supernatural worldview. So the, there, there seems to be a problem. It's a, there's kind of this saying in, in philosophy that the, um, that the conclusion or the argument doesn't follow from the premises, right? So if you look up there, there are those three premises. And from that, they make the argument hey, because there are natural laws, because we as people uh, can't break them, and, and because we figured it out through observation, that must mean that supernaturalism isn't real. But it's kind of a, it's kind of a weak argument. It, it's like me saying, okay, so uh, I'm sort of light-colored, and, and I've got like you know, all these spots and stuff, and, and sometimes I smell like dirt. So that must mean that I am a potato, a peeled potato, specifically. And that's it. Because, because of those three, those three premises, I must be a potato. But obviously, you know there's a lot more to take into consideration. The fact that I'm speaking, I have limbs, like, you know, lots of stuff. I'm not a potato. Um, <laughs> just in case you came in here and were curious about that. Um, so, but, but we make this argument that supernaturalism should just be thrown out the window that doesn't actually seem to to follow from the argument. I want to show you this, this cartoon that I found that, that kind of illustrates the point another way. Um, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it here to you. If I can find the... That's all right. I'm going to look up here. I'm going to do the thing. So, <laughs> so, as you can see, of course, science has disproved God. Science disproves God all the time. Really? How? Well, we simply study tough questions like, how did everything come from nothing? Why is the universe so fine-tuned? How could the unbelievably complex and precise genetic code have come into being? But... Before we look at them, we completely throw out the idea that an intelligent creator is even a possible option to consider. So, when we come up with possible answers to these questions, they don't include God. See? No God. It's that easy. But wait a minute, there's a problem in there, right? He never said why it was a good idea to do this. He never gave any kind of argument. He just said, well, you just sort of do it. When you don't look for God, there's not one, right? Which, you know, doesn't, doesn't, quite, doesn't quite hold up. And again, I, I really want to drive home this idea that despite maybe what we hear in culture, um, that this idea that you can't believe in God in order to be a scientist or to, to do science doesn't hold with the majority of human history. So we're going to enter into a part of the message that I like to call hashtag thank a Christian. So there's going to be... A list that shows up here, a really big list. And the point is not for you to be able to read this list um, because there are a lot of names. And actually, this was drawn from a list, an even bigger list of names of people that are Christians and also have done science. In fact, most of the people on this list um, have, have done major scientific discoveries that have impacted the way that we live. I'm going to highlight a couple of them. The first one is really interesting. One, Isaac Newton. So we just mentioned him as being the guy that kind of based on his thinking, people sort of moved away from um, supernaturalism, moved away from the God of the Bible. Isaac Newton was a Christian. He would have said, that's stupid. Why are you doing that? In fact, there are other people, I think on this list, I think I included them, who who took to task the, the philosophers and, and the different people who were espousing this view. Even contemporaries were like, no, that, that doesn't make sense. That's not how the world works. So there are a couple more that I want to highlight. Um, Bernard Riemann uh, discovered the foundational math for the theory of relativity in like the, the 19th century. So you're welcome, Einstein. The theory of relativity that he figured out would not have even existed without some of the foundations that this guy set. Um, Louis Pasteur, you may enjoy um, milk that, that doesn't spoil overnight. Um, you may enjoy being vaccinated so that you don't die of diseases. That is one of my more favorite things in the world. Louis Pasteur is a Christian, okay? He was able to have this supernatural worldview and still do important science. This last one just blows my mind. Um, Ernest Walton, the guy who split the atom literally changed the course of our world was a Christian. Arguably, that's some important science. Our, our, our history, the, the way that, the way that our, our world is run is radically different because of the discovery that this Christian man made. So I guess my point is, as I've been saying, the evidence that we have just doesn't confirm 
that you can't hold a supernatural worldview and also do important science. In fact, the real conflict here is not between science and scripture at all. It's between this supernatural and this naturalistic worldview. These are the two things that are actually in conflict. And so we've talked about truth in man. We've talked about truth in God. Um, what does that actually mean for science? So one, the, the pursuit of science is a biblical pursuit and actually increases faith. There, there's this quote that I really like, and, and there are a lot of similar ones from some of the other people on that list that I just shared. And I want to read you this quote. This guy says uh, he's a nano-engineer, which sounds crazy. Um, he's a nano-engineer, and this is what he says. I build molecules for a living. I can't begin to tell you how difficult that job is. I stand in awe of God because of what he has done through his creation. Only a rookie who knows nothing about science would say science takes away from faith. If you really study science, it will bring you closer to God. And that was actually my experience too. Um, I, I feel like I mentioned this a couple times, but um, one, of, one of the more worshipful experiences for me as a believer is reading a biology textbook. When I was in high school, we had this big, fat biology book, Campbell, Campbell Biology. Um, it's, like, it's like the starter textbook for um, collegiate biology. And you would read in here, and what they would say is they would be like, ah, man, we just, we just don't know where this complexity comes from. It's really weird. Like, there's entropy everywhere else, and then there's just this little place that things are so complex. That's really confusing. And I'm like, it's not confusing. God made it. And you would read this stuff, and they'd talk about, like, organisms and all the things that they're made up of and they would talk about organs and all the stuff that makes them work and they would talk about cells and, and all the things that make them work and there are these things called organelles inside of cells that make them work and it just keeps going down further further and further it's like this is insane god is amazing some of the most worshipful experiences i've had i highly highly recommend it go read a science book anyway <laughs> The pursuit of science is a biblical pursuit, and it increases faith. Second, God intends for us to discover truth in other places outside of the Bible. It's scandalous. The Bible is not an exhaustive truth manual, and that's okay. Think about it. The Bible is not a geometry textbook. If you wanted to learn geometry, and the only book that you had was the Bible, you would not know geometry. You just wouldn't. And that's okay. God inspired the Bible. It's authoritative. It is the way it is because God made it the way that it is. And he's okay with the Bible being about what it's about. Okay? And, it's, and it is. It's authoritative on, on anything that it, that it speaks about. So it, it does make some claims um, about science and some claims, um, lots of claims about history. But the purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to us, to reveal his dealings with mankind and to reveal the way by which we can be saved, uh, that we can be reconnected with God. This is the Bible's purpose. And it's all right if the Bible doesn't teach us about geometry, if it doesn't teach us about science, if it doesn't teach us about math. God gave us brains to go out into the world and, and pay attention to how it works and to figure those things out. Again, theology, the queen of the sciences, it unifies all of those things. It's okay that we study and search 
outside of the Bible. Now, we would also unapologetically say that the Bible is primary truth. It is, it is the, the truth around which all these other ones are oriented. It is the, the standard that we hold other things up against. And so, if there's a truth claim that, that argues with the Bible, we are going to side with the Bible, and we're going to figure out that, that conflict. But truth in the pursuit of knowledge, science, doesn't have to be opposed to the Scripture. God intends for us to discover these truths in other places. And finally, and I think this one's important, especially in our, in our modern day, contrary to popular belief, having a naturalistic or atheistic worldview is no more intellectually honest or superior to a supernatural or Christian one. Both supernaturalism and naturalism are presuppositions. Okay, they're things that you take into the field before you start doing anything. They are they're decisions that you've made. And, and there's this sort of thing that's like, oh, Christians can't do science because they have this, they have this presupposition that they're taking in. Everybody has presuppositions that they're taking in. You don't, you don't need to be worried about that. And again, tons of people throughout all of human history have been able to have a supernatural worldview and still be rigorous about figuring out how the world works and discovering things. So let's get to the, the central truth. Because again, I, I said at the beginning, we probably weren't going to talk about a lot of the stuff that you thought we were going to talk about. We haven't, we haven't talked about evolution we haven't talked about the age of the earth. Uh, I haven't given you any um, intellectual proofs to, to go whoop up on your friends um, to, to show that, that God is real. Um, because I think while this conversation is important, and there are good answers. I mean, th all those things exist. You can find all that stuff. Um, and, and if you want some places to start, hit me up. I, I'd love to help you out with that. Um, but as important as this conversation about science and scripture is, there's something more important that, that I want to say. I want to share with you a couple of verses out of the Gospel of Matthew. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is in the middle of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. He, it's this big section of teaching, um, and he's teaching his disciples about um, Christian life in the world, what the kingdom of God looks like. Um, and he's addressing this issue of anxiety that his followers have. They're, they're anxious, specifically about um, you know, what they're, what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, um, where they'll, they'll get their livelihood. So Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, the king, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus places anxiety second to pursuing the kingdom of God. 
If you're a Christian in the room, is your mind engaged or are you anxious? Are you using your mind to glorify God? Meditate on his word. Read or listen to subjects outside of the Bible that, that interest you. Learn how our world works. Get out into the world and put that knowledge to work for the glory of God. Uh, put skeptics um, who, who think that, that Christians don't know anything about science, don't know anything about like knowledgeable um, sort of acts and, and knowledge in the world, like prove them wrong. Go out and do it. I challenge you. I defy you to do it. Go, go learn. Learn about the things that, that God has gifted you with an interest in so that uh, you, can, you can do that and you can engage for his glory. There are so many things that people are tempted to place as prerequisites to putting their trust in Christ. As we sort of think about this series as a whole and all of these questions that we've asked, what about my doubt? Is Jesus the only way? Why do bad things happen to good people? What about science and scripture? There are so many things that we're tempted to put as prerequisites to putting our faith in Jesus. People say, I need to get my life together first. I need to quit this behavior or that sin. Um, I just don't know if I'm ready. You know, I, I need to find myself first. Um, I still don't understand how the Bible squares with things like science or the modern culture. In response to anxieties, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. We heard a couple weeks ago that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus died because we have sin in our life that separates us from God and is worthy of punishment from God. But instead of punishing us, God sent his son so that we could be, we could be reunited with God, so that that punishment would be taken by him. We could be renewed. Um, we could be a new creation, the Bible says. We could be restored to newness of purpose. We could do the things that we were made to do. And look, I'm, I'm interested in figuring out how all the knowledge out there fits together. Fits together. Like, that's, that's me. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to run. I'm going to read. I'm going to figure that stuff out. But at the end of the day, I am not a Christian because I figured everything out. I will never figure everything out. I'm a Christian because it's a worldview that works. Because, because it makes sense of what this world needs as a whole and what we as individuals need. There is there's sin in the world, and the Bible tells us how that happened, why it happened, what God is doing about it, and how we can fix that problem. It's there. And so I'm a Christian because the Bible makes sense of the world around us. And so the, the knowledge, like that'll be added to me as God sees fit, but I can do um, what the, the ancient theologian Anselm calls faith-seeking understanding. I'm still going to seek understanding. I'm still going to seek to figure out how it works. But I can start with faith. God is the smartest person I know. And he will, he will help me to figure this out as, as I go along. So I would, I would challenge you. Don't wait. Put your trust in Jesus. If you're worried about this stuff, it, it's great that you're, that you're thinking through faith. And you're thinking through um, your life. But I would challenge you. Put your trust in Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God, and, and there will be a great God and people around you who will help you to figure out the details. We want to do that. So um, I challenge you, like, if that's something that you want to do this morning, 
Um, talk to the person that, that brought you. Um, talk with somebody you know. Um, there, there are staff kind of in, in the back and, and around the church. Like, talk to one of us. Talk to me. Um, we would love to talk with you and, and show you how you can take that step and how you can seek the kingdom of God first. But have that conversation because Jesus can help you with any but, any objection. There are a thousand more questions that we didn't address, and, and Jesus can, can help you to figure those out. So let's kind of let's close this, this time up in a word of prayer.